challenges remaining once again live from melbourne bringing you episode 65 i'm ben rothenberg joining me once again is the feeling much better than she was 24 hours ago courtney nguyen glad you're not dead courtney i'm a little i'm pretty stoked i'm not dead me too. i'm glad that like you know my, my body is resilient enough to handle what was an absolutely debilitating 24-hour flu bug that has left me feeling a bit like a leper and because like every ben probably knows this like yep Everybody kept, like, coming up to me being like, are you okay? Like, clearly, word got out that I was extremely ill. But, uh, but yes, I recovered, thankfully, very quickly. People are very happy, and I think the majority of our listeners, happy you didn't die. I can't speak for all of them. I appreciate the caveat. The majority. I, I mean, do. I'm a journalist. I can't make okay. sweeping generalizations that I don't have supported by data. I'll take, I'll take majority. Yeah. And I appreciate your uh, commitment to truthiness. Yeah, thank you. I also didn't say plurality. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> 33% indifferent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so on this show, we are coming to you halfway through the Australian Open. Just had day seven, 14 day tournament. We can do some math sometimes. Halfway through, biggest news of the tournament happened so far. Let's jump right into it. Anna Ivanovich? Anna Ivanovich, said Pam Shriver, beat Serena Williams. Period. Yeah. I mean, happened. It- as one who had to, like, write that paragraph in different ways about six or seven times today, like, uh, there's really no way else to put it. You know, Anna Ivanovich knocked out, stunned, uh, surprised, uh, pulled off the upset of the tournament, uh, yep. all these sorts of things. So, yeah, Anna Ivanovich relevant again, playing, in my opinion, as one who has seen many Anna Ivanovich matches over the course of the last six years. Too many. Too many. I definitely don't argue with you there, Ben. But having watched Anna uh, a lot... Uh, that was her best match front to back that she's played, and I will say, even counting the two thousand eight Roland Garros run. Yeah, I, I we were talking about it a little bit earlier, but I think the, for me the best Anna tournament she ever had was this tournament here, two thousand eight Australian Open. I think she played much better during that tournament, especially the match against Venus. So yep. I was very impressed by that. That's one that really holds up, and it's a little deja vu for her. This is her first time actually, I guess, playing a Williams in Australia since then. Is and, that right? Yeah. So yeah. she hadn't played Serena here before. I actually was very surprised to see that her head-to-head Serena with Serena was only 4-0. Not many meetings. That's not a lot of matches for like two veterans of the tour, but I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that when Anna was coming up, Serena had a lot of her injury woes and things yeah. like that. Oh, 6 and, 7 Exactly. And then once Anna, once Serena came back, Anna disappeared and wasn't actually making. Right. Uh, but then, you know, she should have... Because, because I think that Serena's probably played Yankovic probably close to like 12 times, yeah. if not more. So yeah, for her to only have played Anna for this fifth time is surprising. Let, let's just let's talk about it from the Anna perspective first because I think that's a little bit shorter. Yeah, <laughs> I was I, I made a face. She made a face that really? won't translate on the podcast. How is it not more about Anna? But I understand. Anna Anna Ivanovich had not been considered a dangerous floater for quite some time now, and I mean I know she's not a floater to the sea, but she hadn't been considered like ooh she got Drew Ivanovich. That didn't send shivers down the seat that, you know, many spines of top seeds because... No one cared where Anna Ivanovich landed in the draw. Big picture, no. Not at all. Sorry, Curtis. And <laughs> Anna would... Had not beaten the top 16 seed since winning the French Open. That's a huge stat. She made 
quarters once in U.S. Open, which she actually kind of seemed to forget during her press conference. She did totally forget. Because she was like, it's so great to pass the fourth round finally somewhere, and I'm happy it happened here. It's like, mm, we did happen that one time where you got 2012 that draw, U.S. Open. Where you got to play Peronka the fourth round. Yeah. Um, that did happen. But then she got killed by Serena next round. So I understand her not wanting to dwell on that tournament necessarily, because it was really a technicality that she made to the... Uh... Anna Ivanovich is many things. She is not delusional. Nope. I mean, she is kind of delusional at times, but like in terms of her own tennis, she knows when she gets a good draw and she takes advantage of it and she knows when she has a tough draw and she gets hosed by it. Like, she's not like one to be like, oh, the draw doesn't matter. Like, she knows. Yeah. So, yeah. I think I, I forget if I wrote this somewhere or if it was on the podcast or what, but the, I think the Serbian team that she has around her has really relaxed her. Like, I think she did not deal well with having an A-list coach. It was not, even though I realized she had that kind of early in her career with Sven when she won her French Open, um, but she has really seemed to just be relaxed and to be listening a little bit better when it's in Serbian. I mean, people have said that, like Tomic has said that he likes getting coached in Croatian. Uh, we'll get to Tomic later. It's interesting to see her flourishing under this unheralded setup, and it's interesting, it could be interesting to see if other players ever consider that model. Well, I don't, I don't know if, like, it's it's not an unheard of model. I mean, if you look at, like, for example, Maria Sharapova and Mike Joyce, that was a very long-standing, very successful, you know, partnership there. He didn't have really much of a, you know, history of being a great coach. Yeah. And, you know, that happened. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's not completely unheard of. But I think that when you look at, like, a player like Anna, one of the biggest things that you do, I mean, I guess with her, it was easy to forget, and maybe with Tomic, it's easy to forget this as well, that even though they are really fluent in English, like, Anna is able to express herself in very, fairly complex English, oh, yeah. in, a, in a smart way, that, yeah, I mean, for even her to say, like, it's almost a cultural thing, it's not language, she's like, you know, they get it, they get, like, kind of how my mind works and why it works that way, and, you know, and I'm, I asked her very specifically in her first or second press conference here in Melbourne. Which I'm sure wasn't very crowded, was it? No, it was like me, Matt Cronin, and a, few, a smattering of Serbian journalists, basically, and a couple mm -hmm. of Aussies who were happy to be there. Uh, <laughs> they do like her down here. Um, but yeah, no, uh, we were both kind of asking her, Matt and I, about her new coaching setup, and I asked her, you know, Anna, you've had designer name brand coaches for most of her, your career. Like, now you're succeeding and, and seemingly relaxed with this kind of no-name set of people, like, do you think that it created more pressure for you having the designer coaches? So as to say, it's not that the coaches were bad or that there was some sort of friction or whatever, but just that it wasn't what she needed because as one who is kind of prone to pressure meltdowns, yep. she probably doesn't need an additional thing to feel pressure about. Yep. And so impressing a coach who, oh, he coached Monica Selish and he coached, like, Steffi Graf and... He coached, you know, like, you know, whatever, Danielle Hantikova did it before, whatever. You know, all these different people. Uh, and she said, you know what, that's a really interesting question. Like, she's, like she kind of just started to talk about the cultural aspect of having a coach that, that comes from Serbia that she can talk to, yeah. specifically about her doubts and express what she's feeling when she's the most insecure on the tennis court and, and working from there. So It's a coach who, Anna, is the get. The get is not the coach. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think that totally has worked for her. And yeah, no, totally agree with all of that. Anna um, played, won nine straight matches to start the year. Uh, she won Auckland, beat Venus in the final, and then come here, beat Serena. Uh, she says the two events are related. Okay, 
well, like we said before, it's not what makes sense that matters. It's whatever makes sense to Anna that matters. If she really draws a line saying, oh, I beat the one Williams who's ranked like 37, and so I can beat the other one, it worked, you know? It worked, exactly. It doesn't matter what's true, objectively. Yeah. And, she, and she played very well. We should move on to Serena, who's obviously the bigger story here. But seriously, Anna played really well. I'm just going to say that before we move on to Serena, because this is going to be this whole thing about injured, da-da-da-da-da. Anna played remarkably so. Played Let's remarkably move on. Well. Anna played remarkably well. Serena was not at full capacity in this match. It became pretty clear fairly early on that she just wasn't moving, wasn't getting down to balls, hitting a lot of things into the net, not explosive, not hitting very hard, and yet still she kind of came fairly close to being competitive in this match. I mean, she really was. She won the first set after um, being down a break, and then Anna kind of took steamrolled the second and got ahead 3-0 in the third, and it was a little bit... Serena had a second win, but it wasn't enough to pull ahead. She kind of pulled level, but she was already behind, if you know what I mean, in terms of energy level. Not on the scoreboard, but she pulled, you know, where they were playing equally well, but Anna had a huge head She start. made a push at, in the fourth game of the third set, and yeah. you had a really emphatic hold, uh, and yeah. you kind of thought when Anna was going to serve for the fifth game that that was going to be where she cracks, and she didn't, and yeah. then the match was done. And Serena the- wasn't returning <clears throat> that well as part of it. I mean, yeah, yeah Serena, Serena could have, Serena on a different day would have found ways back into this match that this Serena did not, I think it's probably fair to say. There had been talk before the match about Serena possibly having back problems and that, and having a very short practice before she played Hantikova, and that was totally backed up by her coach, Patrick Mortaglu, who came to speak to reporters before Serena made it into press herself, which was an interesting sort of situation. So let's hear what Patrick had to say. So Patrick, Anna clearly played well, but that was not the normal Serena that we see. You said every everything. <laughs> no, that's true. Anna played unbelievably well. I yeah. think she improved a lot also. Yeah. She, but she was, I mean, today she was better, serving better, returning yes. better, and better in the, in the rally. So yes. there was no, in a way. It's so, it's so rare to see Serena flat. Is there any particular reason for that? Yeah, she, she has back problems since uh, just before the match against Santukova. The day before, she blocked her back. So, as I said, I don't know how she won this match against Santukova because it was 10 times worse than today. So, I mean, today it was the combination of the fact that she couldn't move the way she usually moves. So, she was in a bad position to hit the, the ball most of the time. So she couldn't she couldn't be really aggressive the way she is usually. And the fact that Anna played a great match, uh, which is also, uh, I mean, she played great, but also not that she played unbelievable, because I think she's playing better at the moment. Uh, her previous match was good too, and she's on a, she's on a good roll at the moment. And, and you know, when, when, when you feel really I mean, when you're not able to do what you usually do, and the other one is just succeeding every time she hits a shot, then the pressure comes much bigger on you because you don't see any solution. So, I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't want to say what she thinks, but I, I saw that the pressure went stronger and stronger. How did Serena hurt during practice? Off the ground, not much power. It was at pretty much all back. You think, or a lot of it? I mean. Yes, but also I think the back uh, was a problem for her to move correctly. Mm. So, as I said, she was she was never coming forward to hit the shot. She was always waiting for the ball. She was always on the back foot, and uh, and she was in a bad position. So when you're in a bad position, you cannot hit 100% because then you would miss everywhere. So she was she was soft today. Mm-hmm. So, and Anna was particularly aggressive. So. 
when yeah so I mean she could come in every time uh, yeah and she really did it really very well right sorry if it hadn't have been a grand slam would she have played today with the back today probably but the round before no 30 minutes before the match she, she was about to pull out the, and then she said I'm gonna try to hit one ball she hit two balls she said okay so Courtney what do you make of, of Patrick coming in there and saying essentially you know, oh, Serena was very hurt, telling people that she almost pulled out of her third-round match against Hantikova about a half hour before it, um, that she had back problems that were affecting, you know, up and down her body, essentially. What, what do you make of Patrick uh, putting that right on the table right away? I mean, any time a player is hurt, and I feel like Serena gets caught on this quite a bit, um, only because it always happens down here in Australia, and especially because of the way that we know how well she can play, that when she plays just slightly below that level, or noticeably so, we're like... What's wrong with her? You yeah. know, like, you know, you know, I give credit to Serena because in her press conference, she did go out of her way to give Anna all the credit. Repeatedly. Repeatedly and sua sponte, like not baited or anything. Like she, oh, sorry, using, lawyer words. Using lawyer Latin I'm words. I'm sorry. Uh, but on her own accord, she, she kept saying, like, I'm not making excuses. But she was asked, obviously, repeatedly about the back injury. And that took her at least... Well, depends on whether you're cynical or not. That took her by surprise because she didn't know that that information was out in the public. So for most of her press conference, she was getting questions about her back. And she's being in the beginning, she was being very coy about it because she was kind of like, and she literally, the first person who asked her about her back injury, she was like, how do you know that? Um, and then it, as the press conference wore on, it became... Someone clear. mentioned Patrick. Someone specifically said, mentioned Patrick. And she said, ooh, so he's the one who snitched. Which I found to be an interesting comment because one of the things that I've, also, I've always been very surprised about ever since her pairing with Patrick is how tolerant it seems like she is of him talking to the press about her. Because she's always struck, struck me as somebody who like didn't want that. Like She keeps all of her stuff really locked down, both her and Venus. And so, but but Patrick obviously likes the spotlight. He likes to yeah, talk. He's a and, and so he gave these quotes. So, you know, there is a part of me that is a cynic that thinks, you know, this is a very savvy way for the Serena camp to get out into the public. Look, yes, she was injured while still maintaining that what in her press conference that she wasn't talking about being injured because it would not help her no. to go in there and be like, I was injured. Like yeah. from a PR perspective, she couldn't be honest without coming off poorly, but that is the fact. The fact is, there's no way around this match. The fact is that Anna Ivanovic played remarkably well against a not 100% Serena Williams. It's the same story. It's a, it's a similar story to what happened last year with Sloan. I mean, Sloan played well. I don't think Sloan played as well as Anna played today. Exactly. But Sloan played well against a less than 100% Serena. And, and I need, think that Serena was the... more injured last year than she was today, I think. Mm. I don't know how to quantify that exactly. She just she looked way more sluggish last year than she did today to me. Okay. Well, you guys can debate that amongst yourself in the comment section. We have a comment section, by the way. Did you know this? On Podbean? I totally knew this. Yeah, we had a comment. We don't get many comments, and the ones we do get aren't always very nice. But <laughs> if you guys want to debate that in the comments or tweet us at NCR Tennis or on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash NCR Podcast. Um, we'll be happy to take your thoughts But thank on you for listening, people who aren't nice in the comments. Yeah, we always appreciate it. Whenever people say things about, like, oh, you guys were so dumb when you said this. I'm, most of me, it's just like, oh, you listen to what we and, say? And, like, paid attention. Thank you. Because yeah. I don't remember what I say most of the time. It's in one mouth, out the other. Yeah, exactly. Not how it works. That's disgusting. I don't even know what that means. Didn't in stop. one mouth and out the other? 
didn't sound great anatomically, did it? <laughs> it's 1 a.m. here, guys. Sorry. Yeah, it's sorry. been a stressful okay. day. It's been a long day. Serena loses. Uh, what does this mean for her year? I don't know if it means anything. I mean, this happened last year, and yeah. she went on to win the French. Fine. Yeah, she was fine. I mean, I don't think that there's any... I, I, I would hope that no one's hitting the panic button. You know, crap happens. You got to win seven matches, you know, to win a slam. That's very... In- very hard to do it's incredibly hard to do and I think that sometimes we can get really spoiled with you know Serena and like the big four you know the big four on the ATP because they make it seem so easy all the time mm-hmm. and yeah. it's not and sometimes you need luck and for whatever reason she's always unlucky when she comes down here that's just it yeah it's unfortunate other people still in the draw so Anna is still in the draw Anna next faces Jeannie Bouchard who's been, who we kind of predicted would make the quarters out of this section or had a very good shot anyway, getting put in the Irani section is the top eight player who you want. She got Irani, she took advantage, even though she didn't play Irani. Irani lost first round to Gulia Gurgis and um, then lost to Lauren Davis, so good job, good effort, Julia. Um, <laughs> Jeannie makes it through, beating Casey DeLacqua in the fourth round. Not the toughest draw for Jeannie, but Jeannie is very quickly backing up hype, made it to a slam quarter. You can't, you can kind of fluke it, but it's, doesn't feel like a fluke. It feels ahead of schedule, but Jeannie doesn't seem to think that. Yeah, no, she's very, I think we've said this before on this podcast, that, that Jeannie is very jockish in her demeanor. I know that she obviously has that fresh-faced blonde hot girl thing going on, which seems to be why she's kind of got a lot of the followers that she does. Yeah. Um, she's a pretty girl. But when you actually talk to her, she's extremely jockish. Like she She's not like, this she bubbly... like an NHL player. Yeah, yeah, she's not this bubbly you know, teenager girl. Like, she's very mature about even, it. And even, like, Sharapova, who I think is a little bit... She's... It's Sharapova... Yeah. Sharapova is a little bit more um, engaging when she talks. Yeah. Which is maybe a learned thing. I don't remember exactly what Sharapova was like back in 04. But um, Sharapova has this sort of playfulness about her when she yeah. talks, or just, like, teasing almost a little bit. And Jeannie's Jeannie, a bit more declarative. Jeannie, her her yeah. every sentence is a, de- a declaration. There's a lot of cliches, and, like, sporting cliches, you know, one match at a time, just trying my best to work hard, that kind of things, um, which I understand, and it's working for it's her. It's working. Can't I knock, think in a lot of ways, you can't knock the it keeps system. everything simple for her. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, even today, she got a question about, you know, what do you do to keep your mind off tennis? And in the course of the conversation, it became clear that she said, you know, I actually, tennis is my life. I love it. Like, why would I want to keep my mind off tennis? Like, she was saying that if tennis is on TV, she watches it. So, yeah, she just, she loves the sport. She likes playing it. And I think that in a lot of ways, like, she kind of has that, the way that she treats her game and the sport, there's a single-minded focus about it. And it's not too complicated for her. You know how some players, they take the court and you can just see them at war with themselves, the crowd, the whatever it is. Like, I think that, it's just go out there and win. I really feel that's what Jeannie Bouchard thinks. I think Jeannie Bouchard's legacy from as, as a template should be, and this was not the thought people had at the time, but that she really stayed on the junior tree until she had fully ripened. I mean, she was playing, she won Wimbledon juniors at 18, which is way, and most players in this era anyway, I think for a while now, have bailed on juniors earlier than that yeah, and like, said we're focused on pros it's like graduating from college in six years right exactly <laughs> You're like what so she got her diploma and people when she won Wimbledon Junior people weren't super impressed I mean it was like yeah you're 18 you should win that tournament your friend Laura who's the same age as you won it four years ago and that was sort of the thought then but really that experience winning has helped her I think make this transition very fast I mean I asked her it was last year I was here in Melbourne and I saw her losing qualies yeah in qualies and now to she, Daria Gavrilova right 
I don't remember that much, oh, but okay. I remember yeah. she lost and is now three matches away from winning the tournament, which I think is implausible, but it's totally plausible she'd make the semis. She could totally beat Ivanovic. Mm-hmm. I think the, sec- the favorite in this half of the draw, as it stands now, is Lena, who is the only only top uh, 16, no, sorry, top 15, Ivanovic is 16, I guess, uh, seed left in. So, yeah, Lena's final to lose, you think, Courtney? Move on to her? I think so. I mean, I, I, we were talking about this uh, kind of coming over here that, that at least by my, in my mind, Lina is now the tournament favorite. I think so. And a lot of that has to do, I understand that Azarenka is two-time defending champion. Obviously, Sharapova's on that side. You mm-hmm. even have Sloan and you have Yankovic, which are all quality opponents who could all make the final very yeah. easily. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I don't think that it's easy to, to and handicap Vanska, that. And still in. Yeah, yeah. Redvanska as well. Halep. Muguruza. Let's just name them all. Let's just name them all. Let's be fair. And that's it. Yeah. But um, but I think that, that of all of the players left in the draw, Lena has been the the best. She's been playing the best of anybody. Especially against Makarova. Yeah. I mean, the Safarova match was scratchy. She had to save a match point, let's remember, against Safarova. She's, she was centimeters from going home. Yeah. There was a challenge on the last point, and she, which was called out, and then Safarova challenged her own shot, and it was shown to be out. And she says, like, I was close to going home, and it kind of seemed to relax her almost a little bit. Mm-hmm. And she just killed Makarova, which I did not expect. I did not expect 2-0 and in that match at all. So, after Makarova beat Venus. Um, and then, it was also in a section with Lissicky. Um So, let's switch to bottom half real quick, just to keep zooming through it. Uh, bunch of tough matches in the fourth round, I think. Tough to call. It could go either way. Um, but, yeah, so, but who do you see coming out of that half? Uh, out of that half, I don't, I mean... I think that the winner of Vika Sloan is really going to be quite determinative for that half to me. I haven't been really impressed with Sharapova. So to me, like whoever kind of wins the Vika Sloan match, I kind of like them making the final. Interesting. I think because we talked about this in our preview of the tournament show, but I think out of Red Wanska is a tough matchup for Sloan. Uh, so if she stays in against Muguruza, who's been playing well. Uh, kind of a breakout tournament quietly for her, which kind yeah. of got spotlight stolen by Ivanovich a little bit here. But yes, Muguruza, who knocked out Caroline Wozniacki. Right. I think the most steady player in this half actually is Yankovic. Yankovic, I can see making semis. I can see her being a sheriff over here. I yep. really can. That would mean the world to her. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and, and I could see her maybe even beating... She took a set off of uh, Azarenka in Brisbane, so that's not unwinnable, too. And she's beaten Sloan in Cincy last year. So, I mean, there's a few players who are legit there, and I think Lena's the favorite just because she is the more predictable one to actually get through her next two matches. That is frightening when Lena is the player who's in the draw that is predictable. Yeah. <laughs> this is all very strange. That is worried. That is worrisome. Things are upside down here in Australia, so. Yeah. Any stories on the men's side yet? Not, I feel like the men's side has really held the form. Del Potro went out to Batista Agut. Which, if you listen back, I kind of said might happen. He really did. I, I think was ben so gets smug about that because he was no super one else, smugs. Because no one else knows like who the three named Spaniards are from one another, and I don't know most of them. I admit, like Jimeno Trevera, I don't know who that is. But Batista Gut, big hitter of the ball, he killed Smichek, beat Del Potro in five with a stat sheet didn't look make it look at all like it was competitive. And he backed it up by beating Benoit Pair pretty easily, which happens to people. People beat Benoit pretty easily sometimes. Which happens to Benoit Pair. <laughs> it does happen. Uh, Batista Agut is in there, but otherwise it's held the form. Looks like Nadal will get through the semis pretty easily. Looks like that second quarter with Federer, Murray, and Sanga remains a, kind of a free-for-all. All three of them can get through, I think. They're joined in there by lucky loser Stefan Robert. Had a very nice week as they, as weeks go. So that's all on track from what we said before. 
Uh, bottom half of the men, also the same. They're up to their quarters now, and it's Burdich, Ferrer, and Djokovic. Bavrinka, seeds hold. I think we expect the expected. Yeah. I mean, the seeds will hold. I mean, obviously, Del Potro going out. Always a surprise, always not a surprise. It's it's just it's kind of how we roll. Going to be less of a surprise now. Yeah, exactly. I think he went that, through this at U.S. Open. Yeah, I think this was a bit of a disappointing, yet again, uh, result for, for Del Potro. So, yeah, it's it's same as all. I mean, the big story, really, of, of the first week for the men is the lack of stories. That yeah. The Nadal-Tomic match that we were excited about. Let's talk about that. Didn't, uh, didn't pan out. And then the Nadal-Malfis match just was a complete display of awesomeness from Nadal, but that would that isn't really why we tune in to watch that match. We no, tune we, in we just tune to in watch it be competitive yeah. and, and uh, interesting, and it, it kind of wasn't. Nadal, to his credit, I mean, his every point intensity. I mean, he's had closer matches against Malfis in the past, but to this time, it was really just like Malfis couldn't do his thing, couldn't get the crowd going. There weren't a lot of spectacular rallies, really. Malfis was really, he got closer in the third set, uh, but still lost at six three, and he was having to play really, really efficient, like high percentage, kind of straightforward tennis, and that's just not what anyone wants to see Guillermo Fils play. Seeing people who have not had a straightforward tournament, let's turn to Nadal's first round. Courtney, what did you make of Bernard Tomic's twenty fourteen Australian Open? Oh, Bernie, 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 the boy who cried wolf, right? That that you get a reputation for. Being giving Tomic, less than one hundred percent, giving less than one hundred percent, being Tomic the tank engine. Your own media have given you this nickname. It's what your rep. I mean, all of the stories in the papers about Tomic leading up to this tournament were about yeah, just all of the crazy off court stuff and you know about how he doesn't take things seriously. And then he has to retire after one set to Nadal with a clear injury. I don't think that there's any doubt that that. It existed. No, not at all. I think and people were caught off guard by it when it happened because the first set had been really competitive. He only lost at 6-4, and then he stopped pretty suddenly. It was competitive, but not because it was competitive. Like Basically, it was scoreboard competitive. It wasn't actually competitive in the points because yeah. Bernie couldn't do much, so he was he was serving very well. And so that's why he, he was holding points, serve. Yeah. yeah, But not in the rallies he was getting hosed because he couldn't move. But, uh, yeah, he gets booed uh, the minute that he shakes uh, Rafa's hand. Entirety of labor erupted in boos. He kind of has to hold up his hands and say sorry. Comes in, explains it in press, and then holds a surprise press conference the next day. Kind of, you know, t- trying to explain right. it again. As it's odd. Booing, I think we talked about this a little bit just offline earlier today about just buying tickets. Essentially that phenomenon. People, a lot of people go to tennis once a year. You know, you, come, you fly in from Australia, you say, oh, we'll get the Monday ticket, maybe someone good will play. We'll have our tennis night this year. And if it gets cut after one, cut short after one set, people will be disappointed. They'll be upset, they'll be confused, feel a little ripped off even. So I understand the instinct to be like, what is but this? But I only feel like you get you know? feel like you're ripped off if you feel like you're getting ripped off. In other words, like if you show up and like Rafael Nadal retires... You don't boo Rafael Nadal, I'm pretty darn sure. Yeah, probably But not. you do boo Bernard Tomic because say, you be- think that he is actively ripping you off. I will say Venus got booed here when she retired against Petkovic. Yeah, but then th- th- that's always tough because there's not the reputation for anything, but yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Like, if, if people believe all of the very cynical and suspicious and, and really wrong yeah. reports early on in their careers that... Venus and Serena would, you know, not tank matches but give matches away. Then they would be inclined to believe that. And I, um, I should, I should talk briefly about a tweet I sent after Bernard's initial first press conference um, after he was finished and talking about how disappointed he was pulling out. Um, I was walking 
towards the, the player restaurant or something, and suddenly he goes jogging past me fairly quickly, and I thought it was weird that after pulling out of the match, he was going around that fast, just seeming un unencumbered. I realized, obviously, there's a difference between playing a match against Rafael Nadal and jogging down a hallway, but it just seemed weirdly spry at the time, so I tweeted something about that, and just because it was incongruous, really, is the word for it. And, yeah, and I wasn't implying at all that Tomic had made up an injury or that he wasn't, and now there are obviously scans. I got tweets like, oh, you showed how what a terrible journalist you are. I was like, I just reported what happened. What you I walked saw. out of a press conference where he said he was sorry he was hurt, and then he ran past me, or at a fast jog. And well, that all, was just like, I just was jarring. It's it all about, happened. it's look, it's all about optics sometimes. sometimes For Tomic it is, know. and he's terrible at optics. That's part of the story. I mean, speaking of optics, the thing that happened today on Channel 7. Yeah. Serena Ivanovich match. Channel 7, which is the local broadcaster here in Australia that uh, air all the open. They actually had a camera on Sloane Stevens who happened to be, you know, up in the player gym or player area. Basically. Player gym, I think, yeah. Player gym watching the match. Um, so shooting her through a window. Yeah, shooting her through a window and uh, caught her basically at match point, kind of caught her on match point, basically turning to her hitting partner and kind of moving in for a high five. But she had a big smile and everything like that. And initially when Channel 7 aired the footage, they were like, here's Sloane Stevens's reaction or something. Celebrating. I think celebrating. celebrating. Oh, that's rough. Um, celebrating, you know, Serena losing, which obviously if that were the case, holy crap. You know, and it even, like, I remember seeing the initial tweets kind of about this, which didn't include video or anything, but just, and being like, wow, like, if that really happened, if Sloane Stevens ha actually celebrated and was caught on tape, that's a big story. So I'm not going to actually deal with this until I know it's confirmed and I've seen the footage. So a few hours later, during the Bouchard-Delacqua match, Channel 7 actually airs a clarification that it wasn't Sloane, quote-unquote, celebrating, but that she was, like, mimicking the Ivanovich boxes celebration, which was very obviously intense and, you know, fun and like whatever. So that's what she was doing. So the clarification is kind of, I guess, I mean, obviously very necessary to kind of discuss the story. No, that's true. I think that I, I think that was just that she didn't know she was on camera. Um, that's usually an area where there isn't filming. I mean, I know where that sort of passageway yeah, is. Yeah, I don't. You can't really be filming into a player area. I feel like it it's not like media is allowed in. I there. mean, like they don't sometimes do behind the scenes footage, like players like walking in from the parking lot and like showing them showing up. But that's when like cameras are like kind of like right in their face, like walking with them, and it's very obvious. This seemed a little invasive, so I'm a little sympathetic to Sloan. I understand, you know, obviously people will take it as they will, and that's totally fair. Make whatever you will of it. I think it's been given enough context at this point for everyone to draw their own judgments but yeah it's an optics thing for sure and that's something that and that's really the story the more issue. than anything else yeah. like do i think that sloan was like celebrating no i don't i actually do believe that like she was turning and kind of mimicking the, the celebration she, you can see her mouthing um at least in the version because i saw an earlier version of it you can see her saying like what was that right but then she's looking at the celebration and then she does like yeah then she kind of imitates so but, i think that's what she was reacting to in that moment but again it's just one of those situations where like you know with like tomic or with sloan or some of the other players that are high profile players for obviously for reasons that are good which is their tennis which is what makes them relevant but then sometimes they get their high profile and people pay attention to them more than they would otherwise because of some of the off-court stuff you can just get stuck into being in a bad optics situation yeah. so, it's, so uh, it's i don't think this will be a major major blip on the 
radar for slowness. As far as things go, this is pretty minor. But yeah, so predictions for the rest of the week as we wrap up. What do you, what do you think will happen? I still, I saw, I hold by what I said before. I think Novak will win on the men's side. And as for the ladies, I'll take Lee Na just because I do think that she's my favorite, but I take that like, I mean, you could convince me, you can make a case for everybody that's left in the draw, except for maybe Garbine Muguruza, that they, <laughs> that they could win this tournament. So it's, you know, it's a bit, it's definitely more wide open, obviously, than it was, you know, 24 hours ago. It's fun. I mean, that's, we call, we call that Wimbledon when Serena lost an emergency podcast. The timing of this worked out not to be quite as abnormal a time, but it does have a little bit of an emergency feel to it because the whole whole picture changes when you take Serena out of it. And it'll be curious and fun to see what happens the rest of the way. And we'll leave it at that, folks. Have a good one. Thanks for listening, and we hope that you woke up like this. Right? Right. Goddamn, goddamn. <laughs> you wake up, post up, Round round in it, blossom on it. This diamond, my diamond. This rock, my rock. I woke up like this.